It's a wonderful song, isn't it, to think about? Standing in his presence, face to face, I shall behold him. You know, it helps when you're singing songs, if you think about the words you're singing, it kind of makes them special, doesn't it? And that's one of those, one of those songs. Good to have Brother Jason and them back. He was out at Countryside Baptist Church this morning uh, preaching. Uh, they're without a pastor, and I'm glad that our guys get to fill the pulpit sometimes in places like that. So good to have him back, though. And it's been a good week. Our teens were at a conference uh, Friday and Saturday and had a great time, I've heard, and good preaching, good singing. And they don't like the fun and games, but they have some of that. They really just go for the preaching. They love the preaching. But right... But uh, anyway, heard good reports about it. Had a good Bible study up in Wentzville Thursday evening. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. We got to go to that, my wife and I. You know, I, was, it was, I found it interesting. I won't get into any real details of this, but we prayed Wednesday night about God um, making his work apparent that he would... It's biblical. You know, God didn't just leave us here to go and do what we think is right, when we think it's right, where we think it's right. God, God put us here that we could try to determine what he wants and do that. And so, so we prayed about that. And then we had the Bible study Thursday, and we had a call Thursday evening, actually, from uh, a preacher friend of ours. And he was, um, just gave some encouraging words, really, about what they're already, he and another preacher are, um, willing to do to help in that area, get the gospel out and some mass mailings and things of that nature. So, again, we want God to show his hand. We want God to help us to know what his will is. And we ought to be, if we're not trusting God, it's, it's, it's us doing it in the energy of our flesh. And I don't think God ever promises to bless the work of the flesh. But he does promise to bless his work. Um, and that's what we want, is his work. So... So it's been good. It's all good. We're going to be in Revelation tonight again in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. And um, we started, just kind of back up a little bit while you're finding that Revelation uh, 15. We, last year, our theme for the year was about taking a stand and knowing where we stand. So a lot of our Sunday nights were dealt with doctrinal, theological uh, review about basic doctrines, and then we got into the doctrine of end times, and so that was in the end, latter part of 2020, and we're still sort of finishing that up. So we'll be doing that a few more messages. I just want to cover a few more things about it, and uh, we're getting close to the end, close to the end of the world as we know it, as we're studying here in the book of Revelation. So we're going to spend a few more weeks in this studying future events. And our last message was in Revelation 14, mass message in this subject, in this theme. And just look at a couple of verses, and then we'll stand for the reading for the text tonight. But Revelation 14 and verse 19, the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. 
and the winepress was trodden without the city, outside the city of Jerusalem, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. This is that great time of tribulation, and the Bible likens it to when you put grapes into a wine press, and that press squeezes those grapes, and what comes out is, of course, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice. But this is going to be God, God putting pressure, squeezing the wicked of the world. It's going to be an amazing thing to behold. And we'll start now in Revelation 15. Let's stand if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word. Sure good to see you tonight, and, and um, it's good to get into the Word of God. You know, the Bible, all the Bible is good. I, I, I make reference to this sometimes. We ought to really avoid the um, tendency to just look for parts of the Bible that we really think we would like. It's like going, it's like going to Golden Corral and just going to the dessert section. You know what I'm saying? Um, dessert has its place, but we like to start with salad and soup and then work our way through and always save room for dessert. But by the, by all the Bible is good. And I'll just say, maybe this is per, pertinent to someone, pertains to someone here. Don't just pick and choose the parts you think are good. Read the whole thing. It's all good. My wife and I have been reading the book of Deuteronomy the last recent days, just in our going through the Bible annually. And it's amazing how helpful and practical the book of Deuteronomy is. And yet there are probably people here who never read those books. It's good. It's all good. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, right? All of it's good. So this does not even pertain directly to most of us in this room, but, it, but I find that in studying the Bible, it feeds our soul. It's God's book. It's God's word. Revelation 15 and let's just read a verse to get us started, verse 1. John is writing, and John says, And I saw another sign in heaven. God is showing John the Beloved. John, for in case you uh, might not uh, be up to speed on this, John, this is one of the apostles, John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was uh, persecuted after the death and resurrection of Christ in the first century, and there it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day on this island, exiled as punishment when God began to sh show him this great revelation. So when he says in verse 1, and I saw, that's John speaking, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray that as we study it together, you would help us to be attentive, Lord, to your word, and to receive with meekness the engrafted word. We thank you that you give us details and insight, instruction, concerning the future, concerning what awaits the world, concerning the wrath, the judgment, 
that you will pour out upon the world. So help us, Lord, as we study it to learn, to grow, to be informed, and Lord, to be urgent about the day in which we live. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So it says in verse 1 there that John saw another sign in heaven, and, he, and what he saw was seven angels having the seven last plagues. And here's how John described these seven plagues, and we're going to go through them tonight. He said in verse 1, For in them is filled up the wrath of God. These, these seven plagues represent the final fulfilling outpouring of God's wrath upon the earth. Now we're going to read on in verse 2 and he sees some other things. And so we're going to, we're, this is something about uh, the book of Revelation that we see often and we'll see it tonight in this passage is that we have two scenes being played out at the same time. One of them is it will be seeing the wrath of God poured out upon the earth at the other, but at the same time we're seeing what's going on in heaven. We're going to be up there in heaven watching what's happening down here below, I believe. And so he says in verse 2, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now what he's seeing here is, we know it's in heaven. He says, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast. That's a very important phrase. You know, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I would recommend just underlining that. Them, who does he see in heaven at this sea of glass? Those who had gotten the victory over the beast. That tells us that these people in heaven were on earth. They were having to deal with the Antichrist. And they're now in heaven because they've gotten the victory over the beast, it says, verse 2, and over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name. And he sees them stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So they're in heaven, and they're part of the heavenly orchestra. Makes me think, <coughs> maybe God just gave them a supernatural gift of playing the harp. But they're playing the harps of God. No electric guitars up there, just melodious music, the harps of God. And um, verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Greater marvelous are thy works. Here again, we see the emphasis on God's works. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. So here are these people in heaven standing on this sea of glass and they're playing these musical instruments. And who are these people? These are the people who won the victory over the beast. These are people who were, became believers, who turned to Christ during the tribulation. And as a result of that, they were martyred. This is, if my memory serves me correctly, this is the fourth group of tribulation saints that we've read about in the Bible. People who are saved through great hardship on the earth and they are in heaven now and, uh, and they're worshiping God. And it's interesting to me 
that it says in verse uh, 2, they, got, they had gotten the victory over the beast. Now that's, a, that's an interesting and I think an important perspective to think about. These people were killed by the Antichrist, but they're seen here as victors. They weren't losers, they were winners. They came to know the Lord, they stood for the Lord, they were killed for their faith, they won the victory. Amen? That's what it says. And uh, they're standing on this sea of glass, having their harps, singing to the Lord. It says in verse... Three, they sing the song of Moses. Now, that reminds me of the song, we'll turn to it, but the song of Moses that was sung after the children of Israel were miraculously delivered from the Egyptian bondage and they went through the, uh, God parted the Red Sea, they went through the Red Sea and the uh, Pharaoh's army was absolutely annihilated, drowned, wiped out, completely destroyed uh, when the waters converged upon them and that was an opportunity for them to sing. Let's go look at that for a moment just to notice just the theme of that song. We're in Exodus now. We're going to come back to Revelation. We're in the back of the book, now going all the way to nearly the front of the book. It's all good. Exodus 15 and the, the Egyptians are drowned. And notice what it says in verse 1 of Exodus 15. We'll just read a few verses. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. I think they were all singing. Right? You say, well, I'm just not into singing. Well, you need to get into singing. You're going to be doing it forever. This Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God... And I will exalt him. The Lord, notice this verse, three. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. Now that's one of two songs that we know that Moses are attributed to Moses. There's another one in the book of Deuteronomy. But it's the same kind of attitude, the same kind of rejoicing. God gave them the victory over the beast. God gave Moses and the Israelites the victory over Pharaoh's army, and they're praising God. So look in verse, we're back to Revelation 15 and verse 4, continues with these, these uh, saints singing. It's, by the way, notice the last part of verse 3, how it refers to the Lord Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. He is the King of the saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, in verse 4, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. 
And I believe that's looking forward to the millennium. Here it is. John is writing about what's happening at the near the very end of the, the tribulation period. And he's looking forward to the day when all the nations of the world will come to, the, to Jerusalem and they'll worship before the Lord where his judgments are made manifest. So here we have this again. It's simultaneously you have on earth the Antichrist who is demanding worship, who is deceiving people into worshiping, and the false prophet is deceiving people by miracles to worship the Antichrist. At the same time in heaven, you've got God being worshiped and praised. And this is just an ongoing, ongoing uh, con- contrast, really. Then look in verse 5, if you would. Something else going on in heaven. John says, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. Now this is, this is now about the third time or so that the temple in heaven has been mentioned. We think of the temple, we think of first of all the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The design, of, by, the design was given directly to Moses on Mount Sinai. How this tabernacle, this tent, this movable place of worship would take place. And then in, in Solomon's day, as we heard this morning, in Solomon's day they made a permanent temple on in Jerusalem, the place of Mount Moriah, and that temple was there until it was destroyed. It's actually been destroyed uh, twice. But So we know about the temple on earth, but this temple in heaven, and, and notice what it says in verse 5, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And so we know that there's a, there is, it makes me think that the Tabernacle on earth, the temple in Jerusalem, were all, all sort of a replica of the temple that is in heaven. So John sees in verse 5, this temple in heaven was opened. And verse 6 says, and the seven angels, remember we saw these seven angels in verse 1. And the seven angels came out of the temple. So however that appeared, John saw it, these seven angels who came out of the temple, verse 6, having the seven plagues, and this is their dress, this is their attire. By the way, almost identically the way the attire of Jesus is described in the early part of Revelation chapter 1, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. So these seven angels come out from the temple, having the seven plagues, and verse 7 says... And one of the four beasts, these four beasts were introduced earlier in uh, the fourth chapter of Revelation. One of the four beasts, these angelic beings, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. So John sees these seven angels come out of the temple of God and he sees this other, one of the four beasts who gave these angels these vials. These are like, vials are like cups or bowls or saucers. But the important thing is what is in them, verse 7 says. They're full of the wrath of God. So these seven angels come out of God's temple. Each one of them is given a vial, a bowl, if you would, maybe a, a saucer. But what they have in their hand 
is they're filled with the wrath of God. And they're about to pour out these seven, these seven bowls or seven vials upon the people, the inhabitants of the earth. They're full of the wrath of God. Verse 8 says, the temple in heaven was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, which we know from Old Testament scriptures, you know, in the t- dedication of the tabernacle, dedication of the temple, how the, those places of worship would be filled with God's glory. And so they come, very interesting, these, the temple is filled with smoke from the glory of God. And notice the last part of verse 7 that I find fascinating. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. I don't know what that means, but I know what it says. That when these seven angels came out from the presence of God, no one would be able to enter into that temple until all this outpouring of wrath has been fulfilled. That brings us to chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we're going to see the outpouring of wrath by these seven angels with seven vials that really represent seven, we could call them, the Bible calls them like plagues. Verse 1, 16, 1. And I heard a great voice, John says, out of, the, out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So we don't know who that voice is, but we, I, I would assume it's God's voice. But this voice came from out of the temple and told the angels, just be about your business. Go your ways. I think this all happens in pretty quick time, actually. Go and pour out these vials on the wrath of God. And as we look at them, beginning in verse 2, each one of them is distinct in where it's poured out and how it's poured out. Verse 2. And keep in mind that when John began this passage and began this, what he saw here and writes down for us, he, um, he said this was the outpouring. This is the fulfillment, the, the finishing of the wrath of of God. This will take us right up to uh, the battle of Armageddon. Okay, verse 2. And the first went, the first angel went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped his image. Just several things. I said each of these are distinct. Some of them are on the sea, some of them are on oceans. This one here is poured out upon the earth and is poured out particularly not on everybody on the earth, but on those who had the mark of the beast. And he calls it a noisome and grievous sore. And only the people who had the mark of the beast or worshipped his image would, be, would receive this, this so, these sores poured out upon them. It, as I'm reading this, it's reminding me of the plagues in the days of Egypt's uh, when the Israelites came out of Egypt. One of those plagues was these boils that afflicted the Egyptians, one after another after another. And so here's, here's one of them. It's these sores upon people. Verse 3, we have the second plague. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. So here's different different location, but he's poured out his wrath, his vial, this outpouring of God's wrath, Upon the sea. And it, the sea, became as the blood of a dead man. 
And every living soul died in the sea. So imagine this happening. This is not just some kind of a movie, you know, some kind of a horror film. This is actually going to happen on the earth. And all the, and I think this is talking about really the, the greater oceans of the world, salt water as we would say, the seas have become as blood. It didn't say it was blood, it's become as blood, but every living creature of the sea would die. Now imagine the effect that would have upon the earth. <clears throat> then we have a third angel in verse 4, who poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water. This would be like springs and fountains, fresh water. And they became blood. And so this is the third angel, the third vial. So we have the boils, the sores upon all those that have the mark of the beast. We have the sea has been contaminated. We have the, the fresh water is contaminated and became as blood. And again, it reminds us of those plagues in Egypt that when Moses would hold up the rod and God was showing Pharaoh his might and power, the waters then also were turned to blood. And so look in, in verse 4, this third angel poured out his vial. And then in verse 5, John says, And I heard the angel of the waters. That's who he referred to, this angel. I heard the angel of the waters say this. Now watch this. This is to me is... Very interesting. Say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because Thou hast judged us. In other words, what You're doing is right, God. What You're doing is just. Look in verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Talking about those upon the earth, the haters of God. They have shed the blood of righteous people, and Thou hast given them blood to drink. For they are worthy. They're getting what they deserve. They're getting their, what they, what's due unto them. Verse 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. I think it's, I, I just love the Bible, and I'm thankful for everything that God includes in the Bible. But there are those who might question the judgment of God, the justice of God. How could God do this? And as we heard this morning in Sunday school, God does not condemn people to hell. God, God provides for people a way of salvation. They condemn themselves when they refuse to accept God's salvation, when they refuse to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. And in this world, as we're viewing it, watching it here in the book of Revelation, is getting more and more wicked, increasingly vile and corrupt and blasphemous, and so while this is happening, these angels are just saying, God, you're right. You're just, you're, you're perfect, and these people have shed the blood of saints. It's only fitting that they would, you would give them blood to drink themselves. And then verse 8, we have the fourth angel. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. So we've had it poured out upon men who reject Christ and receive the mark. We've had it poured out on the salt water, bodies of water, the oceans. We've had it poured out upon the uh, fresh water, the streams and fountains of water. Now verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. 
And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Here's your Bible description of global warming. Men were scorched with great heat in verse 9. And you, one would think, if they're seeing all this happening, they're watching, they've got these boils on them, these, these sores on them, they've, the water's supply is diminishing rapidly, There's, the waters of the seas are contaminated, the fresh waters and rivers are contaminated, and now the sun is just scorching them. You would think they would say, God, enough is enough. Jock Pharaoh, you would think that Pharaoh would have said, enough is enough. Take these people, get these people. But no, their hearts are hardened. And notice what it says in verse 9. They blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. They recognized, I believe that means they recognized that God was bringing this judgment. And what did they do? They didn't honor Him they didn't submit to him. They didn't worship him. They blasphemed him. And notice it says, and they repented not to give him glory. And so they refused to repent. Then we have the next angel in verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. Now here's another directed um, attack of God with God's wrath. Attack is not a good word. Outpouring of God's wrath. And notice where it is. It's upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom, the kingdom of the beast, the kingdom of the Antichrist, his kingdom was full of darkness. Once again, we think about the plagues of Egypt and the great darkness. The Bible says it was a darkness so that people could feel the darkness. It's a world of darkness. And so here we find that this fifth angel pours out his vial upon the seat of the beast. The seat would be his throne. Where that, you know, we read, we read about in numerous places, we read about it in uh, Thessalonians, we read about it in uh, the book of Daniel, how that in the middle of the tribulation period, Three months, three years into the tribulation period, or three and a half years, that the Antichrist would break his uh, covenant that he made with Israel, and that he would declare himself to be God, and that he would seat himself on the throne of the temple in Jerusalem. This is what is all spelled out in the Bible. And here we see that this fifth angel pours out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And it says in the last part of verse 10, they gnawed their tongues for pain. And they're, in, they're in great, the whole, all the men, all the people are scorched with this fire. They're, they're feeling these, these uh, boils, these sores. And now they're gnawing their tongues for pain. And, and you can tell how it softened their hearts in verse 11. And blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. They refused to repent for the way they've been living, for how they've rejected God. They refused to get right with God. 
Now again, we know, we can tell by reading this, that all this is happening pretty quickly. They've still got the sores on them. That was the first plague. They've got the sores on them. They're dealing with the fact that all the water supplies have been contaminated, turned into blood or like blood, and now they're feeling the scorching pain. And God is just, it's hard to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine what it would be like to live on this earth during that time. Then we have in verse 12, the sixth angel. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. I, could have, I thought about bringing a map, you know, and let us geographically to see that great river Euphrates. But it says that as a result of this angel pouring out his vial, verse 12, the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So when he pours out his vial on the river Euphrates, the waters are dried up. And why is that? He tells us why. Because the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. This is a preparation for the battle of Armageddon. Because when this river dries up, then the, the armies of the east, that could be um, the Muslim armies of Iran and Iraq, and it could be India, it could be uh, Pakistan, it could be China, it could be India, all these armies of the East. And we know this, and we'll, this, we will, we'll introduce this tonight and talk about it in another lesson, but all this is leading to the great battle of Armageddon. When the nations of the world are going to assemble there in Jerusalem. And so this angel um, drying up the waters of the Euphrates are preparing the way of the kings. Now look in verse 13 and John says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. That's the devil. Out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. This is this satanic, you know, God has a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is a satanic trinity. The Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet. And he says, he sees these unclean spirits. They're spirits, demonic spirits, like frogs. Just think about it. I don't want anybody to lose sleep about this tonight. <laughs> Just think about it. Verse 14, for they are the spirits of devils. And what are they doing? Verse 14, they're working miracles. And what is their purpose? Which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. This is not a localized deception. This is a worldwide deception using miracles, going forth to the kings of the earth and the whole world. And what is their intent? Verse 14, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. It's pretty exciting to read this stuff, isn't it? And see what is happening. See how God is putting this together. We're in heaven. We're watching. Right? Just in rejoicing that God is going to win. God is, we're on the winning side and he's bringing this. So he's, God's orchestrating this to bring this battle, but these devils are trying to get everyone to come against Jerusalem 
and come against Christ and come against everything about this good and godly and they're just filled with evil and sort of inserted is a very interesting verse in verse 15 and it says behold I come as a thief blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame just like there's this this plea this word of admonition that has to be from the Lord inserted into all this just saying I'm coming I'm coming and blessed is he that watches and keeps himself pure this is all happening during this sixth angel as we we read about this so so he's Jesus is promising to come and he is on the verge of coming at this point right here we'll read about that in Revelation chapter 19. But he's on the verge of coming. And verse 16 says, And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Um, we'll talk about that at another time. And I'm going I'm to resist the temptation to give many details. But it happens in a very familiar place in, in Israel called the Valley of Megiddo. And you can stand on the hillside, we've done it more than once, and looked out across this, and it was a historic, I said I wasn't going to talk about this, didn't I? It was a place of historic battles. It's, a, it's like this, far as you can see, it's this flat valley. And they fought in that valley because it was, cause they, that's one of the places in Israel where you could use chariots because it's, it's flat. You can't use chariots up in the hills and mountains around Jerusalem. But this is, the va- this is going to be where the battle of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo. And so verse 16, they're being gathered together into this place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So that's the, the, the end of the tribulation is being staged. The, the Euphrates River is dried up. All these armies are able to come across, bring their armies and, you know, you can just almost visualize these great armies of China and different ones. You read, see these things on the news, all these immense armies, and they're going to come to Jerusalem. And they're going to come to bring, to bring war against God, and they're going to come to be destroyed. So John sees this, sees all these things being played out before us. Um, Hold your finger here in Revelation 16. I want to make a little quick departure back to the Old Testament. If you would go to the end of the Old Testament, which you'll find the book of Malachi. It'd be easier to find if you're not familiar with the books. But go to Malachi and then push your way a little further left from Malachi to Zechariah. And Zechariah wrote about this. I just want to look at a couple of verses. And we'll talk about this more later. Zechariah chapter 12. We're going to look in chapter 12 and then chapter 14. But look in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, these are prophetic utterances, proclamations. God speaking through his prophets about what would happen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the future. He says, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah 
and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth, all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Pretty simple language, really. It's describing what we see in Revelation. Go to Revelation or to Zechariah chapter 14, just a couple of verses there also. See if this doesn't sound about what we're sound like what we're reading in Revelation. Zechariah 14, 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. All nations. Who's gathering them? God is. The Antichrist, the false prophet, the devil are deceiving kings to try to get them to come. But who's gathering them? God is. Verse 2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled. And the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Notice this in verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem. Stop reading. <laughs> We'll cover that later. This is the great battle. Gathering all the enemies there. And, and who's going to come and take care of them? It's not going to be the Israeli army. It's going to be the Lord who's going to come. So let's go back to Revelation 16 and we'll wrap up this chapter. We have the seventh angel in verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. So we've had, the, we've had the plagues poured out on the sea, poured out on the rivers, poured out on men, poured out on the seat of the Antichrist, poured out on the sun. And now it says the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. This is, I believe this is God speaking. It doesn't tell us. It's a voice coming out of the temple in heaven. And he's saying, this, it is done. The stage is set for the great battle of Armageddon. Verse 18 says, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. We can only imagine. I believe the Bible. And I believe that that earthquake will be unlike any earthquake that's ever been upon the earth. That's what the Bible says. The greatest earthquake of all time. Imagine the destruction. Imagine the tsunamis. The, the floods, the waters converging on, the, like we remember the tsunamis that we've seen when these, uh, these earthquakes under the ocean take place. This is what's going to happen. Verse 19 says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. This won't be a localized, a localized earthquake that might 
you know, destroy a certain city here. These are going to be the cities of the earth, the entire nations of the world. This earthquake is going to shake the entire world. And these cities are going to fall. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now we're going to talk more about this Babylon in the, in the chapters to come. But, you know, I believe this probably, it doesn't say for sure, and I'm not going to say for certain if I don't know for certain, but I believe that this just represents the, the uh, Antichrist world system, Babylon, the housing of that, and it's going to be destroyed. The world system is going to be destroyed. Verse, look at this, verse 20. Every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. What an earthquake. What an earthquake. And just to top it off, verse 21 says, And there fell upon men great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Just out of curiosity, I, I did a little research today about the greatest hailstones ever. And generally... A common hailstone, a heavy one, a heavy, super heavy one, like eight inches in diameter, would be like a couple of pounds. But there have been, there've been chunks of ice that have fallen out of the sky as big as like a microwave or something. Very rare. I'm glad it didn't fall on our house. But this says that these stones, every stone about the weight of a talent, now, in Roman times, a talent of silver weighed 100 pounds. A talent of gold weighed 200 pounds. You're talking about hailstones over 100 pounds beating upon men. The earth is shaking. Mountains are falling into the sea. Tsunamis are covering the... Coastal areas, people are covered with sores, scorched by the sun, water turned to blood, water supplies are diminishing, and now hailstones, a hundred pounds. You say, that can't happen. It will happen. Just because you've never seen it happen does not mean it won't happen. Just because you can't, you say, how do you know it's going to happen? Because God says so. And verse 21 says this, what a testimony. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. What did men do? They didn't repent. They didn't get right. They didn't humble themselves. They didn't confess their arrogance and pride and rebellion. They, they just, they, they blasphemed God. Imagine that. They blasphemed God. This is what the world has to look forward to. It's not pleasant, is it? It's dreadful. It's beyond dreadful. But it's not unjust. It's not unjust. It's exactly, you know, why, why would 
Christ rejectors, why would rebels, why would blasphemers, why would idolaters expect that at some point in time the God that they deny wouldn't come and finally judgment would come? This is the judgment. We, you know, I don't know how if you think like I do, but I, I wonder what people who are in heaven think about during this stuff. But we've read it. We know it. They said, God, how long are you going to wait? When are you going to give this world what they've got coming? We, we live in such a kind of a bubble that, that we kind of get to thinking like God has always ignored sin. God's always put up with this. You know, God's always been merciful. God's always been long-suffering. God's always been patient. And God is all those things. And I thank God that He is. But one of these days... God's going to say enough is enough. You're going to get what you deserve. And it's right here. Now, how should we, how should we respond to this? When I read it, how should I respond to this? How should you respond to this? Should we just kind of yawn and act like, you know, well, ho-hum, that's, that's what the future likes. I think maybe we ought to take a little more of it into our heart and think about this is what's going to happen to this world. And I know that there are many, even today, I think, who are being programmed, who are being deceived by the devil into such an anti-God position, a stance against righteousness, against Christ, against the Bible, against truth, against God. But there are others, though, who, who are reachable. And that ought to be where our attention is focused. Those who are reachable. Because if Jesus came today, and He could come today, if Jesus came today, the people who are living in our neighborhoods, the people who are in our families, could be these people with these sores, with scorched sun, and water supplies turned to blood, and earthquakes, this is drawing the earth. Those are the people. And you say, well, I, don't, I just don't think that could happen. It will happen. There will be a generation. There will be a group of people who will be called out. Maybe us. Maybe in my lifetime. Maybe in your lifetime. A people will be called out to heaven. Will be taken up in a moment. In a twinkling of it, will be taken up. And this whole scenario that we're reading about will begin to unfold right here on this earth. It's going to happen. You say, well, it'll be a long period of time. Not as I understand it. From beginning to end, I think will be seven years. And that's how long it'll take to come to this point right here. So what should we do? We should be passionate about reaching people, about, about supporting missions, about, about trying to reach people, about giving out gospel tracts and witnessing to people. That's what we should be doing. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, what you should be doing is coming to Jesus Christ. Coming to Christ. You say, preacher, do you think a person could get saved if their, if their primary reason for wanting to get saved is to avoid damnation? 
I think that's always been a factor in people getting saved. Right? I mean, it's what John the Baptist said. When he was preaching and baptizing, flee from the wrath to come. Right? I, I remember as a child hearing preaching that was very unsettling to me. I don't know that it ever caused me to have nightmares, but it caused me to sort of have tremble, trembling in my heart listening to it, sitting in church like this. You know why? Because I believed that hell was real. By the way, it is real. And it's forever. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ tonight. God is in the business of saving people. And He's merciful. Amen? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Thank you for being so attentive tonight. Our heads are bowed. Let's think about it tonight. Let's don't think about what we're going to do when we leave here. Think about our friends. Think about what they're going to do. Let's just think about right now, us. Individually, think about it. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Have you settled that issue? Have you been born again? If not, if not, God loves you. And Jesus wants you to be saved, but you've got to come to him and put your faith and trust in him. I urge you to do that tonight. I urge you to do that tonight. And if you're saved... Let's be honest. We're not here just to play games. We're not here just to be religious. We're here to make a difference. We're here to care about people. We're here to, as we heard this morning in Sunday school, we're here to let our light shine. What if you and I could reach a few people with the gospel before this happens. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's, let's pledge before God, Lord, help me to win one. Help me to reach somebody. Help me to warn people. Would you do that tonight? Our Father, as we pray this evening, we... we Look at this portion of Scripture with awe, with wonder. We know it's reality. We know it's not just all symbolism. It's really going to happen. And the stage is being set. We see it. God, I pray tonight, if there are those here who are not saved, that tonight... You'd deal with their hearts. You'd draw them to yourself. You'd bring conviction of sin. I pray for that. And a desire to be saved. I pray you'd work. And then I pray for those who are saved. Dear Lord, help us. Help us not to get so caught up in just living our lives and going about our business and our busyness being neglectful of our responsibility and privilege to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. While our heads are bowed this evening, and I hope you're going to pray to